it was kind of late in the evening and I was watching a movie on the couch with my whole family, kids, wife, everybody, when I got the text from Challen uh, telling me about this accident that had just happened. We met Challen a couple weeks before that. He was a fan who stopped by our spec house and neat guy kind of felt an instant connection because he's in the industry and he's, you know, he lives in Idaho, which is not terribly different than Southern Oregon. And um, Challen and his brother Grant uh, were kind of knocked off of a roof in sort of a freak accident involving a crane and a big girder truss. And today, Challen and Winston came on the podcast to talk about not just the accident, but overall safety mindset and protocol, how this accident has shaped and changed their business, and just kind of the um, the experience of going through an accident like this. Now, if you haven't experience an accident in your life, yeah, you probably will. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about here, where there's that moment before the accident where everything's great, and then instantly afterwards where life is over. I can't imagine what that was like for these fellows, um, considering Grant is their younger brother, and it was truly um, the type of accident that, that people don't recover from. So, I hope you enjoy it. My dad is joining us. The one thing I didn't mention in the podcast is that Challen keeps a TikTok account, and I hope you check it out because seeing a couple videos of these guys on their job site will fill in any cracks about the type of people they are and the type of energy on their jobs, and I hope you do it so you kind of understand how, uh, how good of guys uh, CV Brothers are. Now, they're, I, I love guys like this. They're young enough to uh, be hungry and energetic, but they're old enough to have all the experience in the world, and they're do, they got a neat business. I mean, they are building uh, commercial buildings in a big way. It's a risky business, obviously, and being on the roof, and these guys, have they're, they're kind of good spokesmen for this uh, caliber of framing. So I hope you enjoy it, and uh, especially if you are in the trades or doing a type of work where OSHA and safety and these types of protocols um, matter, it's just such a good reminder to take it seriously. Not the not the check in the box, not the um, meeting the requirements, but being safe and 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 having the the overall mindset that that creates a job site where everybody can go home afterwards. Even if that is the case, these accidents still happen, as you'll hear today. But a good reminder for me, for sure. So without any further ado, Challen and Winston CV, and also we're lucky to have my dad, the essential craftsman. We had some technical difficulties in this one, and at the end of it, something happened on my end. I don't know if it was the internet or what, but I got kind of kicked off of the call. <laughs> and so if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to see people's videos kind of coming in and out. And like I said, I, I'm kind of gone by the end of it, even though I actually was sitting listening to it and I was there in spirit. But for some reason, the connection didn't allow me to participate. So these things happen. Hope you enjoy it. Let's go. question for you guys because uh, after I've kind of gotten to know you a little bit I see on these big multifamily jobs and some of the descriptions of the other types of projects and first thing that comes to mind is these guys are not that old how are they <laughs> doing these big commercial jobs and have this uh, company already so maybe let's start there and Winston you go first yeah so that kind of happened we had been building residential homes and like I said it was connections and relationships um, so we had a really good relationship with a superintendent named Colby Curtis and he had just got into built, um, he, he just became a project manager doing multifamily stuff. And so I think we had built some houses for him too as well. And so he reached out to us cause he was kind of desperate for, for people to come and work to build these buildings for him. So he just reached out to, I believe it was actually my brother, William, and he was on board with us at the time. And William's kind of a go-getter, you know, just, just, it'll just about say yes to anything. So he reached out to William talk to him and William's like, yep, we'll do it, do it right away. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> he was ready to just jump into it. And really it was, it was Colby Curtis willing to give us a chance. And, you know, I like to think we didn't let him down cause we're still doing them for him, <laughs> but yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. So I know in Nevada, 
Um, so I, I had a little bitty license there for a while and did a few houses and stuff. And and in Nevada, it's all about the size of the bond that you can get, the size of the work that you can bid. And Oregon wasn't that way at all, but it's gradually going that way now where you have to declare on your license if you're residential or commercial. And there's two grades in commercial. Is Idaho kind of behind the times? I hope in so many other ways, like Idaho <laughs> thankfully still is. Is it if you're licensed, you can take on whatever you can get, or are there are there bureaucratic obstacles? So I believe that actually has to do with the general contractor. I could be wrong there. Um, okay. So CBH, the way they have it, they have those buildings uh, listed. It's still listed residential. I see. Um, but depending on the contractor you you work for, they do require different insurance requirements. Um, some sure. Or higher. So we just have to work with them. Um, we just basically say, what do you need? And they let us go and then we make sure that we're in compliance with that. Good. Nice. It's kind of amazing how much um, experience you can get after just a few years of, of working. Like I know some of your guys, younger brothers have, well, they're younger, so they they may have been only framing for, I don't know how many, but don't you think it's kind of amazing after even just one year of doing something day in, day out, you're not going to be the world's premier expert, but you can really know a lot about the, the job and maybe you are an expert if it's truly one you know focused down thing right yeah it takes a lot of time. well we started off oh go ahead winston oh no go ahead winston oh i was saying it takes a lot of time i think it's because there's more technicalities than people um think when it comes to framing um there's so much to get right and there's so many minor details that can throw everything off and to get people to actually understand the, the reasons why that's the hardest part because <laughs> so that, that's what I was going to say is it takes them a while to get that. But the year, one year, they can pick up a lot of framing knowledge and be able to put a wall together and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that for us boys, we um, kind of grew up around it. You know, we was quite young. Our dad, dad did it a lot and he had a variety of different constructions that he worked went in. And some of us started framing at 14 or 15 years old, you know, maybe getting paid under the table from an uncle or, you know, a friend in the church. Um, and we, we was really, really young, but we were out packing boards and scrapping out and, you know, making 20 bucks a day or something. Yeah. And then I myself left that and went into lawn care more. But the rest of the brothers, the main core of the CB Brothers construction, Winston, William and Grant, um, they really stayed in it with my uncle and I, I guess going back to answering the question that you were, you know, how are you guys doing this? You know, our uncle Jeremy had a big part, you know, a big part to play in, in helping them with all that experience because, um, you know, he gave all these young guys the opportunity to, to try, you know, and, and they did and succeeded. Mm -hmm. And so not, along with just simply the knowledge, um, in fact, I, I say, you know, Winston, he, he made Framer history by by, you know, trying different things out, you know, figuring out how to square a floor easier than the way that we used to do it and figuring out how to do roofs differently. And that's been super huge. And, you know, so then we get out there on the job and yeah, we're young, but we started when we was like 14 or 15, or at least some of them did, you know? And so now you're looking at us and we're, you know, I'm 28 and Winston, I think you're 27 or something yep. like that. And, but we have 10 years at, well, Winston, yeah. I couldn't say for myself, but <laughs> has 10 years or more under his belt. Easy, you know? Mm -hmm. and so I mentioned, in, like you said, the uncles and your dad, that's that, that leverage component where even like myself, when I was um, young doing my first kind of remodel thing, I had no idea, but honestly, by being able to call my dad, anytime I came up, which was regularly something I hadn't seen before, it was like every day I could almost yeah. just like tap into that experience as if it was my own. Right. And uh, you're, you're much more than, you know, when you have a network, that's you, you become much more than you'd be without it. You know, it's, it's obvious, but it sounds like you guys have quite a network there. Yeah. So, yeah. H have you guys discovered Larry Hahn? <laughs> Larry oh, Hahn. yeah. We love Larry. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that, that guy smoothed out a lot of time-saving moves a long time ago, you know? Yeah. And he, he, he really kind of, he kind of, he kind of, well, I don't know if it was him as much as a group of peaceworking guys in the American Southwest in that period of time pioneered some techniques that were new at the time, and now they've been adapted and used in a million situations. So the whole industry that's aware of those production tricks is like hugely 
more productive than a more old school approach. Right. Well, and it's incredible the type of skill that you can get, you know, or, or the, the or the production you can get. You know, your production goes up when you're that skilled too. Yeah, is is right. you know he's sinking sixteens with you know two slices, and a new guy will take him longer to put in a nail with a nail gun. You know, so yeah. that's where that it's incredible. And he doesn't pull out a square to square a board. You know, he takes his skill saw and sets up. Yeah, you know, down there flat, and that's pretty incredible. So that is neat to bring to the job too. Is people with higher skills and Winston was talking about William and William is really highly skilled. And so he could pick up anything, build anything with a lot of skill mm. and do it really efficiently. And if you can pass that on to people, obviously production is, you get so much more production out of that. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever find that like the, the framing and the building is actually the easy part of your business? And in other words, Running a, bi- a, a business is pretty complicated, and there's a lot of aspects to it outside of framing that are, I don't know, a little fuzzier. Do you ever find like the the framing is the easy part, or maybe the better question is, what is the hard part of running a, a business like like yours? The hardest part, in my opinion, is the training factor. <laughs> Actually, uh, training correctly, getting the information across to people in the correct way. Um, eliminating miscommunication that's for myself i find i think that's the hardest part um because i i like to just jump in and do it myself and i don't tend to take the time to actually teach people um william's really good at that uh running the business i mean it's just once you once you get the like as far as paperwork goes you get a system and then you follow the system and everything kind of irons out i mean there's there's detail you have to take um but I, I think, in my opinion, it's the training, you know, especially we, mm-hmm. most of the people that we hire, they're very young. They're, some of them are still in school. Um, so they work part-time and, you know, we want to pass that information on to a younger generation. You know, I mean, we're young, but we do have something of value to pass on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it seems like it's getting more rare for people to actually come out and, and want, want to work hard and build, to build something you know, that they create with their hands and to, there's also a mindset that goes along with that. And, you know, to get that mindset, um, I think we do a pretty good job with it because of our culture on the job site. It's so fun, but then sometimes it's too fun. (laughs) So (laughs) young people are really attracted to, to work for us, but we have to watch out and, and figure out how do we split this down the middle and make it efficient and profitable and pass this information on, but still make it attractive to come to work. Yeah, it's kind of a... I guess I would add to that the um, with along with that though these young people sometimes you got to get them motivated you know and so just getting them to show up on time and and you know there's people that show up to work and they forget their safety vest or their hard hat or safety glasses and so it kind of turns into these young kids it might even be their first job out of high school or whatever and so a lot of their first couple months is just growing up. Like, you know, mm-hmm. learn to, rem- you got to remember that stuff and, and mm-hmm. wake up on time and show up on time and, and make sure you've got your equipment with you and your lunch and your water packed. And, you know, sometimes that can be frustrating on our end and trying to not be too like big of a jerks about it because we got to get mm-hmm. it done. Like yeah, you, you have to have your vest, you know, yeah. and we can't just be giving you a new one every day. Yeah. Um, and so it's finding that balance of keeping them motivated to whether they're not hating their job, but at the same time, making sure they're following the rules. And so when they're not following the rules, I think getting those rules in place um, and, and following them um, is, I, I feel like, is one of the more difficult things. And actually, me and Winston, in the, we were sitting in the truck talking this morning before work about habits, about like, what would you call it, Winston? Automatic habits. Mm. Automatic habits. Yeah. So whenever you get in the habit of doing something, it becomes easy. Yeah. You know, you wear your safety glasses or you're doing this and it's just normal. It becomes normal. And before it's like, how do you guys work with these screens on your face that fog up and get dirty? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. But after a while, you get the habit of you just know and you just put it on and you know how to use it. You know how to do what you're doing. You know how to keep your safety vest in your truck every day. Wow. So... I think it's in getting these people inspired and getting those habits into them. Um, and because then that also helps to keep that job fun and 
keeps them engaged because they're not having to stress out about these silly things that appear to be silly, but they mean something. That's right. What you were saying, <laughs> one, one of the hardest habits we had to break was when we came into the multifamily, our entire world changed as far as safety goes, because we used to frame, you know, we call it the wild west is what we called it. I mean, tennis shoes, shorts, you know, shirtless, mm-hmm. you know, running around without a hard hat, you know, putting these houses up in a couple of days, you know, and then we get into multifamily and everything changed. You have to put railing on your second floors. You have to, you have to tie off, um, you know, you have to wear safety glasses. You have to actually wear shoes that protect your feet, <laughs> hard hats. Mm-hmm. And to get people or employees to accept that and use it, was very very difficult it was it was so hard to do um but once they noticed that you know once they noticed how effective it was you know that they, they actually started uh using it a lot more so that was really mm-hmm. nice um the, the fall protection was a hard one because nobody likes to have you know to be tied off to a rope and you know to be following you around everywhere you're going and snagging and so mm-hmm. that was really difficult now we're very appreciative of it um I think Challen can <laughs> attest to that. Yeah. But yeah, that was he, one of the he's a belie- that was really hard to break. Yeah. What what's it like? Um just the and speaking about fall protection and stuff, has the overall like approach around safety changed? Obviously beforehand, the fact that you guys were so uh um you were keeping up on all your safety protocols, you were wearing the fall protection beforehand. So I'm not saying anything's changed. But what about just like the intangible like feeling around safety has the has the um, I don't know, sometimes there's like a chip on a shoulder about it, even after it's a habit, kind of like this is pointless. Right. Has that changed? And also, I know some safe some safety stuff is kind of pointless, truthfully, like in certain instances. So do you eventually kind of are you guys able to kind of look past that and be like, no, 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 we don't. None of this is a joke or maybe just talk a little bit about what the the energy is like about safety on your job now um even versus before when it was you know um you know to to protocol so before referring to the accident yeah right? yeah before the accident yeah go ahead Winston. it was halfway embraced before the accident i think the accident um it it i hate to say uh, there was a good thing with it, but there, there is good, you know, um, guys do understand, Oh, Hey, this stuff does matter, you know, because they saw it. No, they had never seen an injury like that. Um, it basically, a lot, a lot of people haven't, I mean, a lot of people haven't seen an injury like that. Right. Right. I mean, I, I watch and keep your train of thought. I'll just throw out there that, um, in the time that I've been on construction sites, which is a good long time, the only really tough fall that I saw was a guy dropped 20 feet through a two foot by four foot skylight, bringing a skill saw down with him wide open all the way down. He hit the slab, the saw blew up. He jumped up, ran around a little (laughs) circle and then fell with broken hip. But I've never seen anything like what happened to Grant. Okay. I've never seen anything like that in logging or construction. So that's not something, I mean, there is good that can come from that. I mean, that is a wake up call that not many people get to see. And the fact that he's mending, wow, what a bonus that is. Right. Well, it just, it creates such a reality I mean, anything can happen, you know, and it makes that real because they saw it happen. And so there's no room, you know, for, for arguments or disrespect for safe fall protection. You know, it's there for a Mm -hmm. reason. It needs, it needs to be used. And, you know, I mean, there's things, um, you know, we try to use common sense in everything. You're not going to go anywhere without it. So we, we try to use common sense, um, but we kind of look at safety. If the contractor requires it and they have a reason for it, you know, we want to follow it um, because we, we don't really like just giving the inch because then a mile is taken. You know, if, if we say, oh, on this job site, you don't, you don't have to wear safety glasses on the next job site mm-hmm. where you do, it's going to be a fight to try and get people to wear them again. You know, so we, we try to just follow them. Um, you know, there's times. Uh, so like when you're when we're sh- putting the sheeting on the roof, you know, will allow guys to wear, you know, say like basketball shoes, you know, because big mm-hmm. boots up there, you know, you're not mm-hmm. as nimble. Um, they, they don't grip the roof quite as well. So, yep. you know, something like that, we'll say, if you're on the roof, you can wear, you know, something, you know, you're not going to be smashing mm-hmm. your toes or anything like that, you know, and I really feel like it's safer for them like that. Mm-hmm. So, I do too. You know, I guess 
that's where the common sense comes in. And if an OSHA officer showed up on the job site, they might they might ask why they're wearing sneakers up there instead of um, boots. And we would have an explanation, and then maybe they could direct us in an even safer way, um, where it's they have some better shoes or something. I don't know. I think that's been one of the greatest ways to implement some of these safety rules. And my brother, Benjamin, actually, he's kind of the guy and he wrote our safety program kind of based on the general contractor's requirements. So then not only do the general contractor have requirements, but we also have our own and and they might be a little bit unique here and there, you know, but they kind of jive with each other. But one of the best ways that I found, and we're talking about motivating people or getting implementing these rules without being a jerk about it. Um, is using that common sense and because people always can relate to common sense, you know, and there's a couple of different safety guys that have uh, consult for, for the general contractor that have come out and, and some will have a, a more of a common sense uh, explanation to why they do whatever. And another one might be, well, this is the rules and you have to follow it. Mm-hmm. Everybody always wants to follow that common sense. Mm-hmm. And, I think the main thing that with about this accident is that it did make it real. It wasn't just a rule that we was following because we were following rules that there, it was real. There was a real thing behind it. And, and I think, so as we ended up having a trailer to build right after the accident. And so I didn't get up on the roof. In fact, I still haven't been on a roof since the accident, but you know, we've got a bunch of guys and they, we have like the best crew of guys. Let's just throw that out there. They're the best. Um, and they, they had a lot of confidence and they didn't, they didn't whine. They didn't nothing. And um, the cool thing about the guys is, is that you you might have one or two that kind of, you know, grit their teeth at the rules here and there or whatever, but you have other ones that they're in it, you know, they're, they're happy with it and they follow the safety protocols and they, and you know, they don't, well, having those guys that follow those, that really helps encourage the people, you know, because that one person doing it. And the cool thing about it was, was some of the most influential people were the ones that were up on the roof. And so that mattered, you know, and so they were tied off and they were following the rules. And um, so we were able to, we had two projects going on at the same time. And the day Grant fell, they were working on the roof on the other project. Um, So they actually pulled us off the roof for a couple of days uh, while the, the investigation and everything went on um, with those safety consultants and we were reporting everything to OSHA. Mm-hmm. The one job site where the accident happened was shut down completely. Mm-hmm. And then the other jo- job site, we they wanted us to stay off the roof for a while until they kind of figured some stuff out. So it kind of gave us some time, you know, to kind of regroup um, and, you know, talk about it, process it a little bit. And then when the guys back, got back up there, they had 100% confidence you know, and they didn't have a problem. They weren't, they weren't like nervous, you know, and that was something that we thought about was like, you know, if these guys get up there and they're nervous and anxious, maybe they shouldn't be on a roof, but they, they went at it with confidence and, and then they went back and finished the other job site uh, later on. And they were telling me, they said uh, that first girder truss, the one that fell, that was the hardest truss to set. Mm -hmm. It was, it was nerve wracking. And as soon as it was set and they got followed all the the entire plan that we came up with how to do it to make it make it even safer once it was done and set then everything went smooth as butter and everybody and so i think that southridge job which is the job where the accident was getting that roof tied up getting it done was i mean now it's like we can get through anything kind of and i like i said the guys have been amazing in helping us out with this because i don't know if i could have got back up on the roof you know, that soon. Um, and they, they, they push through and they encourage the other guys to do it. And I don't think I ever heard a single guy say, yeah, I don't know about getting up there yet. You know, everybody had a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. So, so shout a, out to the guys. So a, a nuts and bolts question. So that the, the girder was a doubler, right? It was, a, it was yeah. two trusses. It was two common trusses fastened together um, to, to accommodate the load. Um, and it dropped 30 feet. Could you reuse that thing or was that kindling? Did that have to, it, did it hold together? Well, it was, um, the, sorry, go ahead. Okay. So it, it stayed together, but it was just split down the middle and various yeah. areas. So, I mean, the integrity was, was shot. There so you go. We had to order new ones for sure. So that, that was my question was that's a real, 
um, speed bump in a in a critical path in a construction site is to have to order a new truss. I mean, I don't know what the lead time is in Idaho these days, but over here, trusses are like three months out. So did your truss yard jump on it and jig up and slam that and get it back to you in a couple of days? Well, fortunately, the the general contractor owns the trust company. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. you know, we just no send problem. the information about the trust, the number on it, and, you know, they showed up. I mean, it was maybe a week. <laughs> nice. Nice. Sometimes people don't, if you haven't been around an accident, not just a construction accident, you may not. And like, right. It's like a spoiler to a movie right now. We all know that Grant's alive and going to make it, you know, (laughs) to some extent, let's say, I'm sure he's going to have lasting injuries. But point is right after the accident, you don't know those things. And there's like this feeling of five minutes ago, the world was great. And now the world is over truly. And it's really something else. Even just like, Thinking back, Challen, when we got that text from you, I even felt like the world was over. Like this is, this is, this is just terrible. So, talk about what that investigation was like, because I kind of can't imagine having that feeling and then having other, you know, people come crawling around the job site. And what? How does that all work in terms of people coming and OSHA looking at it? And the the, the GC was obviously paying attention. So, what was that whole pro- phase like? this for you guys and challenge um also you <laughs> your accident kind of got overlooked here because you didn't get injured but you took a fall which for most yeah. people would be enough to like keep them out of the industry forever so um Wednesday maybe you start and then challenge chime in and, and let us know your your thoughts on that so that process um so obviously the job was just shut down immediately so we just uh put up cones and put up tape tape the, the entire job site off no access um and I don't even remember how many times it was actually Northwest Safety that conducted the investigations. They came out, was it three times, Challen, at least? Um, Four times? I think at least three. The day of the accident, Friday, and then one more time, I believe. Right. So they came so, out. Yeah, they, did, they did a couple investigations. They wanted to talk to us, you know, multiple times. They were really good, you know, to helping us through the, the process, Um and they were very thorough. They took they took pictures. They made sure that everything was dialed, dialed down. Um, the report was very well spoken, so it was easy easy to understand. Um, so yeah, it was kind. Of, I, I think it was Benjamin Challen actually that headed um, that entire process with Northwest Safety. Um, so you, Challen might actually have a little more to a little more yeah. input there. Well. I mean, so Winston was on vacation when this happened, so he he wasn't there for a bit, mm-hmm. but he's on the phone and, and stuff. But um, so, I mean, right when the accident happened, uh, the superintendent immediately called Northwest Safety and uh, they got their consultant out there and took down reports from everybody. And for me, it was I, I didn't want anybody to know that I had fell at the time, just unless I had to tell them because I, you know, I, I was walking around. And so I knew that I wasn't needing to go to an ambulance or anything. And so I wasn't going to make it a point. Um, I really wanted Grant to be taken care of and, and everything was already dramatic as it was. Um, As you can imagine, the guys were quite shook up. And so you had to kind of give them a job so that, you know, Mm -hmm. here, hold the fort kind of deal. Yeah. Um, And that was, that was a, uh, I think that um, I, I think I'm blessed with, um, I didn't, I didn't panic, um, when that happened. Um, and I, you know, thank God for that. Um, and I was able to, to, you know, push through it without losing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next day though, um, and the boys can talk or Winston might be able to tell you about this too. Like I, I, it was, I was, I was, I was more affected by it than I, than I thought I was. I thought I was pretty good, you know, and mm-hmm. my leg was hurt and, I started getting upset about things with the way things were going. You know, I felt responsible and, mm-hmm. and didn't know how to deal with it exactly on that end. And, and so Benjamin, he's our safety, you know, kind of like our safety guy for the most part. And he was handling the reporting. And so I ended up kind of getting, you know, a little pissy about that and different things. And, uh, but we got out on the job site and we just kind of put our heads together and, Northwest safety, like Winston pointed out, Aaron, he's, I think he owns the company and he, he's been phenomenal in, in, in helping with that process. And he actually knew the agent, the OSHA agent. 
filled out the reports. We told them the plan that we had to, because we, we said, okay, this is what we've been doing before to fly trusses. And this is what we're going to do to change that, to make it even like practically a hundred percent safe. Mm-hmm. And they, we went through the entire process and we told them everything we were going to do different and how, what we've been doing before. And Aaron was like, okay, this is good. Get this on paper, get it sent to me. Um, and then from there, um, Benjamin and Aaron, for the most part, worked together on that. Just getting it, getting the report to OSHA, uh, making sure that things, all the, the people, the stories were um, collected and stuff from all the guys that, that witnessed the accident. And those guys, they, you know, they, they told their side of the story and everything. They basically all said the same thing, which was really important that, Mm -hmm. you know, before that we started filling those reports out, I told the guys, I said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what you guys are going to say in your reports, but just so you know, no matter what happens, if you guys seen something wrong, go ahead and say it in the report. Mm -hmm. Even if it gets us in trouble, let's, let's be honest about this because that's going to save us in the long run. And, you know, they, they were great and got the reports in. And so from there, um, it was just a matter of time before we heard back from OSHA and it was quite a relief. Um, OSHA says, you know, if Aaron's on site and he's dealing with this and he says, you guys are good. We read your stuff. Like everything checked out. There's like, you know what? Like you guys were on point with your safety, you know? So they said, we're, we're probably not even going to show up. Yeah. Um, you guys are good to go back to work kind of. And that was a huge relief. Um, and I think it helped kind of encourage us, but what, but I, I was quite emotional there for a while. What happens on a job site when an employee decides to not follow the protocols? Like you got like some rebellious sucker, maybe like myself, who's like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going <laughs> to run up there and grab my tool and come back down. And what happens if that guy falls in terms of OSHA and, and liability and, and all that? Because that's probably having a good plan is a part of it, but keeping it in force and keeping your guys on it is... You know, that's the other half of it. So what happens when it's just a and that's the other part of this whole conversation, the the personal uh, responsibility aspect, which really is like the most the first line of defense in terms of an accident is just everybody understanding that they are responsible for themselves. So what happens, though, when someone is more interested in taking risk and then that person gets hurt? You got any ideas? Well, so first first off, we obviously we try to pay attention to character and we try to look for we watch for those people. Um, and we try to head it off at the start, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we'll talk to them about it. If we notice, uh, they're, they're doing things. Obviously we have a procedure we, we, we run through with, uh, a write-up process and it eventually gets into, um, you know, corrective action. Mm-hmm. So we run through that first, but as far as if they were, if they were to be hurt, um, it, it gets reported to workman's comp. Um, I mean, I, I hope that that never happens so we don't have to experience it. Yeah. Um, but obviously we'd be liable for it. And yeah, I don't think there's any sense. way to get out of, you know, even if, even if you told them to follow the rules and they don't follow the rules and they get hurt, it still falls back on us. So yeah. it just, it gets reported to workman's comp. Obviously we just run through the process. We would reach out to, you know, we would talk to Northwest Safety and say, hey, who do we talk to? How do we get this reporting done? You know, we just want to mm-hmm. want to reach out and make sure that everything was done correctly because we, we've learned that not following the rules as far as paperwork goes and reporting goes, because um, we still have a lot of family that, uh, you know, they're still Wild West kind of framers or, mm-hmm. you know, we've just we, we've really learned from example that just following the procedure and the process that is set up to be followed is very important. So, well, I like to do that. I was going to say the guys that that kind of do that. I mean, it really is just going to, like you said, we had the process, but obviously the people that are like that, at some point they're just that's kind of the the ex- expectation for the job, mm-hmm. and so it'd be no different than if they were being negligent with other parts of the job. You know, if that yeah. you get to the point where that you just won't do it, there is no job. Yeah, you let them go, and so it just kind of goes to that point. Yeah. you know, yeah. but and so far we haven't ran into that. Like people yeah. have been actually pretty, pretty good about it, you know? So it's so interesting to me because I'm a lot older than you guys. I mean, I mean, older than you, I'm older than you two CV brothers put together right now. Okay. Um, I'm not bragging. I'm complaining with that. Okay. But, <laughs> but I, so I was watching YouTube the other night with my dad and we were watching a documentary on building the Panama canal. 
Okay. And I didn't realize that the French had tried that first and failed. They, they lost like, I forget the number. It was like $300 million and it nearly cratered the French government. Oh, wow. Okay. They, they started and they failed. And then the U.S. went in there. And I don't remember how many people died while the French were doing it. But by the time that canal was built, 20,000 people had died building that canal. Okay. And wow. that, was, that was right on the heels. It, in fact, it was concurrent with World War I. So those kinds of numbers were, were garden variety news, right? But, and so you, you have that over on, on one end, you know, a hundred year old position on job site safety and the value of life and health against the value of accomplishing the work. And then it swung to this point, which is better for families. I mean, it's better. Um, but what a, what a quantum distance between those two mentalities. Right. It's, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable to think for people of your generation now, it's inconceivable to think of working in that environment where people were dying of malaria and rock fall and drowning, you know, three or four a day. Uh, you can't, wrap your head around that. And on the other hand, they couldn't wrap their head around if you don't have a safety vest and a pair of glasses on, you don't have a job. <laughs> and then I, I fall somewhere in the middle, you know, you know, starting, starting work, um, you know, in the late seventies, mid seventies, and then framing in Las Vegas when it was all still cowboy framing. One of the best days I ever had, we were putting a, a roof on a big custom, big, and the crane, I was well acquainted with the crane operator. It was a pretty good-sized crane, and the trusses were stacked too far from the house. But he could just swing around and barely get a pick on the trusses, and he could swing around and barely get them landed. And so I was hooking him, and I would put a tagline on each truss, and he would swing them, and I was running, hanging onto that tagline, taking 30-foot strides. He was dragging <laughs> me like the tail on a kite, okay? <laughs> it was a fabulous day. You know, and then there would be <laughs> there would be a ladder leaning up, and, and I would I would keep hold the tagline, and my last stride was you know fifteen or twenty feet, and his, he was slowing up and going vertical. I would I'd climb up. It was a great day, and I lived through it. And so it kind of makes me regret a little bit the fact that you guys you got a taste of that right when you started out working for your uncle, I assume. Right. But uh, there's an element, there's a thrill element that just can't be there anymore. It can't be there because of liability. I get that. But it is well, a loss. People and a get game. thrills in new ways today, though. Snowboarding, you know, you wasn't happening, you know, in, during That's the Panama true. Canal or other extreme sports. In fact, that really should be mentioned. And, Dad, this is your point you've mentioned several times. But, uh, like you said, these, especially young men, there's a, there's a craving and a need to take a risk. Need. Yeah. And, and we can't take it on jobs. Or, yeah, we can't take it on job sites. We shouldn't anymore. Yeah. And so we can't be too surprised that some young That's men right. and older are doing it outside of a job site, in which case it's heroic, you know, we're cheering him on like, wow, look at how yeah. brave, yeah. but <laughs> if he was running across trusses, hanging onto a crane, he's just like the biggest idiot Moron. in the world. Moron. And, 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 his, <laughs> yeah, and his employer is, you know, exploiting him. Yeah. And so yeah. In, in other words, like, I don't think we've taken the risk away. We've just compartmentalized it. You know, and yeah. maybe maybe that's good because now it's sitting with people who are truly choosing to do it on their own, as opposed to also feeding so their family. I, with so it. I've I got know. a lot of other I've got a lot, a lot of other hot air theories about that. I think it partially explains juvenile delinquency. Is that young men when the testosterone starts pounding have got to do something, and if you live in the inner city or you live somewhere where there's not some way to get a legitimate uh, risk outlet doggone it, you find a way. Right. And it used to be fist fights, and now it's escalated to who knows what. And there's all sorts of cultural components, but it's, it's just, a, it's interesting. And back to your point. So just a little before I started working in the woods and then framing, El Capitan was scaled for the first time. And Nate, you might have more information on this than I do, but it was a team of like six guys and it took them two weeks. And they had ropes and they, you know, they drug themselves up the face of El Cap and it was a lot of them. They were sleeping there for like a week or longer, and somebody will correct me on the dates. And now Alex Hanold walks up to the bottom of the rock with a bag of chalk and his climbing shoes on and climbs free solo to the top of El Cap in, what, three hours and 20 minutes or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, think of that. And, yeah. and the New York, New York Times says that essentially there's nothing in the, of the likes of this accomplishment in the annals of human achievement. Hmm. Yeah. You know, But on the other hand... If somebody falls off a roof, 
someone might get into a lot of trouble. Right. So it's just for an interesting juxtaposition of values, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting how that like over time that the, um, the danger factor kind of goes down in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so the new guys, they'll get on the job and you'd be like, all right, we have to roll these eye joists, but we're gonna have to be up on these walls. And they're like, whoa. And then, yeah. you know, give them a couple months and they'll be up there, but and they'll be safer though. That's the thing yep. is they'll, yes. they'll have that confidence and they'll be a lot safer. Um, and so the, the more time you spend, the danger factor kind of goes down just a little bit, but yeah. then you, I think that though, that, that thrill that they're looking for almost kind of gets transferred into like an achievement thrill of sorts. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I did that. You know, yeah, I rolled those eyes yep. or yeah, you know, I was, I was in the trusses. I flew them, you know, yeah. and I did a good job, you know? And so it's dangerous, but after a while it kind of changes into like a, a, a thrill type deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you get that a lot, especially like nailing walls. Like that's a big, big step. Like whenever the, you stop carrying studs laying out and then you start actually nailing the wall together, that nail guy, the, the, the installer, um, that's kind of a, a unspoken promotion, you might say. And it's, it's a thrill type thing for them to have accomplished that. Yeah. And so I think that the longer that you're on the job site, you know, at first it seems, oh yeah, it's gonna be cool. We're gonna be building stuff. But then you yeah. get over there and okay, this is going to be a little more dangerous than I thought. And we say, hey, you're going to help out in the lift. We're going to go up three stories and put house wrap on, <laughs> you know, or nail gables or something. And they, oh, but after a while, they're no big deal, you know, yeah. so you get used to it. Right. Yeah. You well, were also like, a, it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was saying I have a lot, I do have a lot of respect for the initial purpose behind OSHA um, because really mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, the employees, they're making a sacrifice for us. And I know in the past, employers wouldn't do anything for injured employees, you know, so mm -hmm. they, they had to be held accountable in one way or another. Um, I, I think OSHA does, I think they get a little bit overboard with it, but I do appreciate their purpose. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if an employee is injured making a sacrifice for me, then I would want to make sure they're taken care of, you know, mm -hmm. so that I guess is the difference. Yeah. The other aspect I, to just our life now versus even 50 years ago, the equipment and the tools and the materials that are available, the, the productivity is not apples to apples comparing what they were doing versus what you guys are doing. You guys are getting probably 20 times the amount of uh, square footage built per day, also due to the cranes and the equipment and the materials that are manufactured in a way that, you know, things click together a little different. And so, Really, we're we're all lucky we don't have to be you know building the Panama Canal because oh man they didn't have a choice that's the bottom line that's and it's right. not because there's a gun to their head it was because otherwise they would be eating dirt you know in that's the right. in the dust bowl or something and so yeah. you know thank goodness that the we've um, progressed and technology has allowed it so we can for the first time in the history of the world actually care about you know whether someone falls off a roof aside yeah. just the guy's wife and kids we yeah. can all like have enough slack to be like Whew, okay now that we can all <laughs> eat and trade let's like hey let's make our job sites safer you know along with yeah. the other luxuries that we enjoy today kelly and i moved to wyoming in 1981 and uh i had to borrow 500 dollars to get there had to have work unemployment here was 23 percent and i had to have work so I got back there and I got a job for a guy, went right to work building custom houses. And a couple months later, we were building a pretty good sized semi-commercial building and it was frosty. It was wintertime. And so the plywood roof was frosty and there was work that had to be done and everybody was afraid. But I had a pair of cork boots because I'd worked in the, you guys know what cork boots are? It's, it's boots. They're about, they're about 10 or 12 inch top. They go way up your leg and they have little hobnails. They have little spikes sticking out of the bottom, not like golf shoes or um, track shoes and not like, uh, football cleats, but they're just little sharp nails that stick right out of the bottom of the boot, about a quarter of an inch long. So you can stick to the logs when you're running up and down the logs in the woods, which is another very dangerous environment. So I said, no problem. Let me run home and get my corks. Corks? What are corks? And I came back with, with these boots and put them on and I could just stick like Velcro to a frosty piece of plywood, right? But I am quite sure, I mean, there were no toe boards or anything on there, and it was 14 or 16 feet to the ground, but I could stick, and uh, it caused quite a sensation in northwestern Wyoming to see, you know, logging gear on the job, and I'm sure it was an OSHA, OSHA violation, but 
And <laughs> you're not nimble. I mean, back to the tennis shoe thing up in the air, you got to be wearing a shoe that, because you're an acrobat. When you're up in the trusses, when you're stacking, when you're sheeting, you're an acrobat. But anyway, it was just an interesting kind of an anecdote about a disregard for safety, but having the right tools from a different different trade. Well, frost has actually been a a battle that we've had to fight too. I mean, it, it raises the danger factor a lot, a lot. And so people, uh, they might laugh at us because they'll, you know, it's not uncommon for, you know, us to be out there with a weed burner mm-hmm. melting the top of the walls off. Yep, that's <laughs> and, good. and so that's, that's been, um, you know, sometimes it, it, you know, slows the whole process of the job down, but it changes everything. If you can get that, that, first that layer of frost melted off and maybe yeah. use a blower and, and blow the top of the wall off and get that Smart. off because because then you're actually you know being able to stand up there and move around and stuff without um having to get on it and i mean then when you're sheeting the roof you know you you if you know it's gonna frost you just better have that one stapled off and not have to get on it tomorrow yeah um and generally the roses we're working on right now you're able to do it in sections and you, you generally you're spe- you're able to do that for the most part and get a get one section up get it stapled off for the tomorrow it's going to frost and you can slam sheets onto a frosty ch- top of the truss and it's not a real big deal yeah but you just don't want to have to be standing on frosty sheets then because so. even a, even if you're tied off challenge you're a, you're a believer it's no fun to hit the end of a lanyard on your way to the ground it shakes <laughs> you up right it jars your teeth loose I think it would. I, I didn't think about it until after I'd fallen, though. So yeah. I, I, I think I, that's the thing is people ask me about that. And it's like, I don't like that's not where I was thinking. That's not where my head was. Of like, oh, I fell off. Like, I didn't think about it. In fact, I got frustrated when the guys stopped to help me. And I was like, no, no, no. Get down to Grant. I, I'm good. Like, I'll climb my lanyard. I'll get out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. And then later, people's like, so what was that like? It scared you. And I was like, no, actually it didn't. Cause I, that wasn't what I was scared of. Yeah. So for me, I don't know if I have the experience other people might, you know, where that, I don't know if it's scary to fall off the wall into a harness because that wasn't what was scaring me. Could you see Grant yeah. from where you were? Did you know he went all the way to the ground or was it like on the other side of the building or something? No. So, um, we were working on the, we both fell out of the same truss. Um, and I watched him go all the way down. Um, and I watched him land Mm. and he was laying perfectly still. Just, you can see like a pool of blood bleeding out and I don't mean to get graphic there, but, um, just from, you know, I could turn and and look, let's see, actually I would have been turning this way and look down there and, you know, I could just see him down there and, um, he was dead as far as, you you know, as far as I thought he was dead, as far as you knew he was dead. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know that he was alive until, that I actually came out of the building um, and people were down there. But before I, before I got out, I was on the, on Bluetooth with the crane operator and his name was Nate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Hey Nate, I said, call 911. Or I asked him, can you call 911? And he's like, yes, you know, very definite. And he didn't even know that I had fallen. And wow. then I was able to step into the breezeway window that was right there and rescue myself so i unclipped my belt and my legs or no i unclipped my legs and not my belt which then slid it up to my armpits mm. and then i was able to step right over into that stand up pull myself straight up to where i was full weight bearing on my leg then unhooked my belt and chest strap and actually i might have already undid my chest i think i did and then just stepped right off that windowsill into the breezeway and ran downstairs and, uh, but Tom, the crazy loon, he was up in the trusses and he actually jumped straight nine foot down with his bags on. And I think that's where his bags of course fell off. And then they said he wasn't even climbing the stairs. He was jumping from landing to landing mm. all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> Just, he was getting down there and yeah. we got down there. Um, and then as soon as I walked around the corner, Grant was, you know, calling out. And then I was like, all right, he's alive. But then I got over there, you know, blood was coming out of his mouth. And, uh, I, uh, that's where I was just, then once again, was felt devastated. I said, he's going to die now. Yeah. And he was just kept calling out, just pray for me, pray for me, you know, keep praying for me. And so I, I sat there and prayed for him and I kept, there was a lady that came running down from next door 
Um, she was actually a nurse. She was also on the phone with 911. Um, the rigging guy who was actually on the phone with Grant. So mm. him and Grant were on Bluetooth with each other. Mm. And so he was actually, he heard Grant the whole entire time he was falling. He heard him after he was, mm. you know, hurt. Oh, Patrick, yeah. though, he ended the phone call and called 911 as well. So there's three people on the phone. And so then there was people just like, what do I do? You know? And so there was three entrances to the eight, to the complex there. And I said, go each of you, you know, three of you guys go to an entrance. And that, so that, got that three was, guys was a, out there. That was a good call and good presence of mind on your part, Challen, to be able to be cradling your brother. Sure. He's dying, praying for him and still be able to direct people to three different entrances. That's, that's remarkable presence of mind. So out of well, like I said, I'm blessed. Yeah. Well, it's, it wasn't me. I understand. And they, yeah, it's that's the thing is that I don't want to try to take credit for that because there's no way I was actually in that state of mind, you know. Yeah, you were reinforced at that moment. That's good. How's yeah. Grant doing? Maybe we'll end on this. Um, at this point, um, I, we hopefully have made the, the video public and maybe let our listeners and especially those who contributed a few bucks know how Grant's doing at this moment and what the, I don't know, outlook is for his long-term recovery. I was going to say, he came out to the job site last Friday, or Winston brought him out after an appointment, and, you know, he rolled around in the wheelchair for quite a while, and that was really incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's throwing nails at guys, and they gave him his hammer, he pounded in a couple nails, and mm-hmm. then he rolled up an air hose and sharpened a pencil, and, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of messing around with him, and, and you know, getting back out there and breathing and stuff, and nice. and you could just see, like, it, it really just brought him alive and stuff, and and was able to joke around a little bit, yelled at a new guy, you know, he unplugged the hose wrong and, (laughs) you know, was able to, to, uh, um, to, to connect with him again. And he's did that a couple times, um, came on the job and it's always just a highlight of everybody's day. And, and, you know, that's, I think that's actually been really important, um, him being able to get back out there. So is he going to make a full recovery and be able to come back and frame again, or is it too soon to tell? I have a lot of confidence in him you know, just because of who he is, yeah. you know, and he's gonna, he's gonna get through it. I mean, he, yeah. he dedicated himself to the jujitsu and, and was very, very fit. Yeah. And I have a lot of confidence. I think he'll, I think he'll be a hundred percent.